Good morning. This morning our call to worship is from Psalm 27. Will you stand with us and we'll sing together. salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid though an army encamp around me my heart shall not fear though war rise against me yet will I be confident
Let's pray together. Almighty God, uh, beautiful Savior, Lord of the nations, Son of God and Son of Man, uh, you call us together as your covenant family. Invite us out of our work to come and to find our rest in you. And Lord, our hearts are heavy with with. Uh, with all of the war and the violence that our world is enduring. The Middle East and Ukraine, uh, Northwest Africa, and other places like Myanmar, there's so much. And Lord, we are mindful of uh, what is happening, especially in Israel and Gaza right now. Father, the images of uh, innocent children being harmed, being taken, families fleeing and hiding, desperate, of, of bombed hospitals, of, of whole cities and regions being destroyed. And so, Lord, in your mercy, may there be uh, an end to the bloodshed. We pray for uh, the protection for the vulnerable and innocents and the ways that, that violence often always comes to them. We pray for Jews and Palestinians across the world, right, that, that, uh, that are... Uh, how this stirs prejudice and violence against them. For all of the attacks, the aggressions born in hate, may there be protection and comfort and community in the midst of this. And Father, there are no words for the impact of this degree of violence in our world, and so we pray that you would bring comfort, especially for those in the grip of fear, those enduring the long and the storied hurts of discrimination, and may your presence be known, Father, traveling the hard paths of death and lament, but bringing to bear love and hope and light in the darkness. Lord, we turn our hearts to you as well. We ask that you would meet us however we come this morning. Some of us fully aware of the anxious turn of the heart, the pressures we are under of the ways that we can feel alone and overwhelmed and meet those of us afraid to, to slow down or those of us that can check out. Loving God, open our hearts to both receive and give this morning, to drink deeply of your love and to give abundantly from it. Father, open our imaginations to see yourself giving love and be changed by it. And may our lives be filled up with the spirit-led, the, the, the resurrection life that Jesus purchased with his broken body and shed blood. And so we ask, that, Father, by your spirit, that you would make yourself known to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Uh, please note the fifth and eighth grade class are also dismissed as well. Well, we turn now to a time of confession uh, where we acknowledge with God our sin, our need of him. 
We'll do this together as a church and then have a time of personal quiet confession. This is what God told his people. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You shall not murder. Lord, thank you for your good word. We confess we have failed to love and value our neighbors whom you created in your image, crowned with honor. Hearts are quick to rage and hate. Our words, like sharp knives, are marked with slander, gossip, and judgment. Have mercy on us. Amen. <coughs> Jesus, lover of my soul. 
please take a moment of quiet personal confession. Gracious God, we are thankful that you came to us in our weakness, in uh, our greatest time and need of rescue, while we were still sinners. You came into the depths of our sin and death to be in our place and to raise us to new life. And we give thanks with joy in the name of Christ. Amen. We'll stand together to hear the words of assurance that do come to us from Ephesians chapter 1. Let's join together. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. As we've been welcomed into God's family, let us welcome one another in the name of Christ.
The Old Testament lesson is Numbers 6, 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The gospel lesson is John 10, one through five. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who, do, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks, Pete, for reading from God's Word. I'm glad to be able to worship with you and look at God's uh, Word together. Uh, we're going to continue our fall sermon series. Um, you'll see a note in your order, but we have been looking at this, uh, these truths that we are known and we are loved. I'll say it, you are known and you are loved, that these are promises uh, made by God through the gospel of Christ, and that these promises speak to uh, a universal and fundamental experience of our lives that we know guilt and we know isolation, we know shame and fear. And so we have been considering what it means that God would say to us in the midst of those experiences that he knows us and he loves us. And so we spent some time in Genesis looking at what we call the human story, seeing human relationships and how God made us and how things have become broken. And we've also looked at the New Testament and seeing how God's story is revealed in Christ. And, and last week, for example, we saw in Luke that Jesus announced that he came to set the captives free, to bring good news to those who were oppressed or poor. And this week, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
and to see that God makes this statement that he is the God who brings new connections. He's the one that brings new connections into the place of isolation. So let's look at our passage. It's printed in your order. You can follow it there or follow it in your Bible. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may be established, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is God's word, and it's given uh, for our good. So as we look at this passage and reflect that, that God is the one who brings new connections, I, I want to ask uh, two questions. The first question is, how does Paul speak about his relationship with the Christians in Thessalonica? So how does, how does Paul speak of their relationship? And the second question then is, is why does this description matter? Why is this description so important? So let's, let's start with this first question. How does Paul describe his relationship to the Christians in Thessalonica? And so to help us kind of grasp our passage, it's good to kind of know the story of what was happening in that day in, in Thessalonica. It was a city that was thriving. It was in the northern kind of Greece. It was a seaport it had a main road that connected it to Rome. And so it was a flourishing city, growing a population, growing in prosperity. And it's in this flourishing city that Paul and his partners arrived. And as his common practice was, he went to the synagogue, first to the Jew and then for the Gentile. He went and also established his commercial work, which was to make tents. And between the synagogue and between the marketplace, he shared about Christ and why he was there. And little by little, a church was established. Little by little, a church was established. And, and Paul's message and this new church coming into existence caught the attention of the authorities of the city, and they were concerned. They were concerned because they noticed that Paul was using language usually reserved for Rome and the Roman emperor, he was using that language about Jesus. That Jesus, not the emperor, is the son of God. That Jesus, not the Roman Empire, is the source of peace and good news. 
And so they charge Paul, it's interesting, they charge him as acting against the decrees of Rome and saying that there's another king besides Caesar. And they force Paul and his friends to leave the city. Well, as you can imagine, that created a difficult situation for these young Christians in Thessalonica. And that's the background that brings us to what we just read together in chapter 3. That Paul and his, his friends, his co-workers, were forced to leave. And they tried a couple times to come back, but were unable to do so. And they are worried about the young church. They're worried about their friends and brothers and sisters. And so Paul writes, when we could bear it no longer, when we were overwhelmed, we were willing to be left behind, and we sent Timothy, our brother, to you. When Paul could no longer bear the separation, when he was worried about what was happening there, he sent Timothy to see them. And I want us to see that, that, that worry, that desire to see how they're doing, the desire to communicate with them, that that co- connection, it speaks about what God is doing. And that connection is described here with family language. Timothy is our brother in the gospel of Christ. And the Christians in Thessalonica are described as brothers and sisters. In fact, Paul uses these terms brother and sister 13 times in just this short letter of five chapters. And and the key point here is that, that Paul is affirming this relationship, this connection that has happened, but the connection is not based on having things in common. We can think about our relationships in our life and what brings us connection. Here, the connection is not being based on coming from the same place, having the same background, the same economic standing. The connection is not because one has, you know, given a certain amount of money or because they have certain gifts to offer. Here is the, the, the heartbeat of what's happening in our passage that there is a connection that has happened between Paul and this church. And it's saying that I am now a brother or sister to another person through what Jesus Christ has done for me. Also, this other person has become to me a brother or sister through what Jesus has done for them. The basis of the connection is not all those things that I I mentioned or the possibility of having certain things in common. The connection is Christ. And the language here refers to the adoption that we experience through God's work for us in Christ. So the language is saying to us, it's inviting us to think about again that in Christ, we are connected to one another and connected to God. In the midst of isolation in the midst of being on our own or or not being connected to anyone in the gospel we are connected to God and to one another and it's this connection this connection is what compels Paul to send Timothy to see how the church is doing this week I saw an article uh, that had at the top of it a black and white photo And in the photograph, there were three people who were dressed very nicely that were sitting around a table being served coffee. And under the photo in the caption, it said, the lounge during the flight of a Pan Am Boeing 707 in 1958. 
the lounge of a flight in 1958. And the article goes on to say, the next time you take a trip within the US, try this thought experiment. Imagine how long the same trip might have taken 50 years ago. Now, it might be surprising to, to us, but chances are it would have taken less time 50 years ago than it takes today. A flight from New York to Los Angeles, for example, now it takes 30 to 45 minutes longer than it did 50 years ago. And auto traffic, automobile traffic is now slower due to more cars, more traffic. And researchers, as part of this article, you guys may already know this, but <laughs> researchers suggest that the speed to which we can get from one place to another is one of the basic measurements of human happiness. And that commuting is one of the daily activities that make us the most unhappy. <laughs> Maybe you can resonate with that. Commuting is one of the daily activities that make us the most unhappy. Well, I mentioned that about travel, and who knows what your travel experience is. Maybe you love your commute. Audiobooks are great, you know. But I mentioned that because we have to think about how even if travel is hard for us today, it was categorically different in Paul's day. And so you might think, why, what's the big deal about sending Timothy? You have to remember that in that day where communication was basically, you know, very limited. It was hard to communicate, right? And that travel was very dangerous. And that the general assumption, the general approach was that if you stay together in a group, you're able to be connected, you're able to be safe. And so to send Timothy, put Timothy at risk, to send Timothy, put Paul and his companions at risk, but yet he is compelled to do so because of the deep connection that has been established in Christ between him and the people who were strangers not that long ago in Thessalonica. And so Timothy goes and he visits the church he visits his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, and he returns, and he comes back to Paul with good news. We noticed in our passage that his good news really has two parts. One is that they have faith, that the church is facing affliction, that they are facing pressures, but they have not given up. They're walking in faith. They're still living out their faith in Christ. And the good news also has to do with their love. Far from having a bad memory of Paul or being angry that he's not there with them in the midst of their afflictions, they think of him with love. They have warm and kind memories. They too long for a reunion. They too feel this connection that has been established in Christ. And so this report fills Paul with joy and with thanksgiving, and it moves him to write the letter that we just read part of. He prays for them that we saw in our passage. I, I want to see you. We can imagine Paul saying, I want, I want to be with you, but whether I'm with you or not, this is my hope, that you would overflow with love. Overflow with love for one another and for all. It's like he's saying, look, this connection that we have, I'm praying that you would more and more affirm that connection and how you treat one another that more and more that you would see one another through this connection that we have in Christ, that we would then for love and serve one another. So we ask, what is the description that Paul gives? How does he describe the relationship? He describes it as those who have been connected through what God has done in Christ, a connection that surpasses what we share in common, but a connection that's rooted 
and God's work in our life. And so we can ask, and wh why does that matter? Second question, why is that so significant? Why is this description important to us? And what I want us to, to hear today is that Paul's language here is not just nice words. I mean, they are nice words, but it's not just nice words. But they point to the very story of God. They point to what God does in our life and in the world. Paul's language here of connection, it echoes what Jesus told his followers in John chapter 13. When he said to them, I, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We can ask, why, why is this the, the mark of a Christian? Why is this what would set us apart as belonging to Christ? It's because this is pointing to the very work that God is doing in the world. In love, God and Christ is bringing new connections into places of disconnection. In the places of separation and hiding, God is bringing forth a place in which we can be seen and known. And that is what the church is called to be, a, a place, a community in which we practice, in which we experience, surely not in a perfect way, but we practice and experience in some level this new connection that's been established. That God has changed who we are, that we now belong to him, and through him now belong to others. As I mentioned in the beginning of this fall, we've looked at some passages from Genesis to think about the human story and what it means that you and I are human beings. Just to mention a couple of things again, in Adam and Eve, we saw that humans were made to be seen to be known, to live in connection with God and with others, with creation and themselves. And that also it means to be human is to need help, to be dependent. And in that dependence, to have opportunity to connect, to connect with God, to connect with others, to connect with creation. And Adam and Eve's relationship was summarized that they were naked and unashamed. They were naked to be seen and they were without shame. And it reminds us of our deepest longings, that we long, we long to be seen. We long to be received and loved. We long for the person who sees us to be one who also cares for us and helps us. But there's more to the story. We see in chapter 2 to 3 that the story went from being naked and unashamed to naked and hiding that in our shame and guilt, we exchange the hope of being known and loved and forgiven. And we take on hiding and playing a part or managing our appearance. And it's into that reality of our longings and our hiding that the story of God brings the hope of new connections, of being seen and loved. And I want us to see that that, that, that hope, that, that work of God, is brought forth especially when Paul talks about longing to see them face to face. He longs to see them face to face. 
It's interesting that that terminology is used multiple places in the New Testament. Paul elsewhere, when he's in prison, longs for Timothy to come. Come so I can see you. John, the apostle, in two of his letters at the end, he says, I long. My joy will only be when I can see you face to face. Face to face, right, is the opposite of hiding our face, of turning away. It's different from dropping our eyes or covering my face. And if we speak of shame, we know that shame has something to do with our face and our eyes, the possibility of being seen. But we are made to be seen and known. And the phrase here, face to face, this longing that Paul has, we can hear echoes of Adam and Eve in that, in that language. That longing that they would see one another and not turn away, but actually see and receive each other in love. When we experience that imperfectly, we experience that we are seeing the story of God at work in our life. And my hope for us as the church is we know that that will be not perfect. And we, we lament when the church becomes a place of sadness and of hurt because the church is to be a place in which we begin to maybe experience that possibility of being seen and received. <clears throat> why is this affirmation, why is this connection that Paul speaks of so important? Not only does it speak to our longings, but it points us ultimately to what, what God is doing. So face-to-face is not just about our human connections that we have with each other. That language of face-to-face is also used in the scripture to talk about what God is doing in our life and the promises that God has made. In 1 John, one day we're promised, one day we'll see Christ as he is. In 1 Corinthians, we're promised, right now we we see through a dim mirror, a mirror that's not, 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 not very good, it's hard to see in. But one day we'll see God face to face. And in the final vision of the Bible, in Revelation 22, here's the promise that there will be a throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And all those who belong to God will be around him and they will see his face. If you want to know a summary of God's promise, a summary of the whole Bible maybe, is those five words. They will see his face. That is the promise of Christ. That you will not be on your own. That God will not turn his face away in disapprovement or judgment. That you will not have to bow your face because of your fears or your shame. But face to face, God will receive you and bless you in Christ. That is what God has promised. That is what's being offered to us. The author, Alan Noble, has a book called On Getting Out of Bed. On Getting Out of Bed. He writes in this book that we live in a world of technique. We live in a world of technique. And what he means by that is that technique is these rational methods that we can maximize efficiency. And that he writes, we see this everywhere. Proven methods for parenting. Proven methods for how you should work or how you should eat how you should best shop or budget, how you should fold your clothes, how you should sleep, 
how sex is best enjoyed, how dating should go about, how you should buy a car. We can think of endless things. And the promise being that if I have the right technique, I can overcome all the challenges of life through research, through technology, through my right choices, through being disciplined. All I have to do is find the right resources, like the right life hack or app, coach or devotional. The noble writes, but techniques promise turns out to be another source of dread and shame. If life doesn't have to be this hard, if there are answers and methods and practices that can solve my problems, then it really is my fault. It really is my fault that I'm overwhelmed or a failure. If I just made better choices, if I was just more disciplined, I wouldn't have to suffer this way or life wouldn't be so hard. The author finishes by saying, you can walk around for a long time thinking nonsense like this. I don't know if that resonates with you, but it does for me. I would be a better pastor if I just had the right, you know, discipline or choices. I could be a better husband or father or whatever else we want to say if I would just kind of do the steps the right way. Or life wouldn't be as hard as it feels if I just did the right things. You can walk around for a long time thinking nonsense like this. But the connection of Paul and the Thessalonians, the, the face-to-face longing, tells us that there's something else. The answer to shame is not making all the right choices, the right techniques, pleasing everybody. Our passage is telling us that the answer to our shame is is being seen. It's being seen, it is being known and being welcomed into a new community with new and different connections. This is the promise of Christ. I'll close with this, grace grace always involves the risk of letting ourselves be seen. Grace always involves the risk of letting ourselves be seen, that there could be forgiveness and kindness in the midst of our need. But grace, for the Christian, grace brings a transformation that depends a large part on knowing yourself to be seen in a certain way that we are seen in a certain way. That God sees us, he sees our need and our brokenness and our dependence. But you are forgiven, you are loved, and you're welcomed into his new community. In the church, our role, our task is to remind one another of this truth to proclaim it to the world around us, but also to remind and encourage ourselves that our connections are not because we do things right. Connections not because we all agree on everything, but our connections and the grace of Christ for us, that we can be seen and known in the love of God. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your good word, and we pray, Lord, that you would comfort us by it. Lord, lift our heads that we may know you and your grace this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
We give you thanks, O oh God, for your abundant grace to us. You heal the sick, mend the broken, give sight to the blind, comfort the hurting, and promise to raise the dead to life. As your children, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of our Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna, Please be seated. Well, having heard God's word, uh, we're now invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. And as we prepare to come to the family meal of, of God's people, it's good to be reminded that our way out of, of shame or out of isolation is, is not that we find a way to please everyone or put forth the right face. The way out of our shame or isolation is to find a place in a new family that God has established in Christ where we can be seen and known and received in his grace. And this table is a witness to that possibility of a new community of new connections, a family that is rooted and connected to one another through the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Connections in which we come all as sinners, all in need of grace, all have a place in God's family through his gracious adoption and ongoing love. This is the message of this table. If you know of that connection, if you know of Christ's love for you and have put your faith in him, then come and eat and drink. Be reminded, encouraged that God sees you and knows you and loves you. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, you don't know that connection, let this table be a witness and an invitation to you of the good news of God's family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this bread and cup. We pray, Lord, that you set them apart and that by your spirit that you administer to us through them. Lord, as we see them, as we receive them, that we would be reminded of your love for us in Christ and the nature of your church, the nature of your family. Lord, help us to receive your grace and let us be those who share it with one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down the center aisle to receive the bread and the cup. You can go back on the sides. Also, I asked if you're able that you would hold the elements, take them back to the seat with you, that we can all eat and drink together as one family. If you're not uh, participating in communion today, we, we still invite you to come forward. We're glad that you're here. You can come forward and just put your arm across your chest, and, or, and Pastor Brian or I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward at this time and let us come and receive the gifts that God has for us.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to imitate your kindness to the outsider, your affection for the lost, and your desire to please only your Heavenly Father as we proclaim the mystery of faith. declare our faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Afterwards, he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue, continue to worship through the giving of our offering to God. And so, I invite the greeters to come forward, and uh, there's a, a gray basket. You can put your uh, communion cup in and also a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift. Uh, you can do that. You'll see a note in your order. You can also give uh, online or through the church's website. But I want to say welcome again, especially if you are joining us for the first time. It's good to have you here. Uh, a couple things. There's a black information pad under the chair in the center aisle. If you're sitting there in the center aisle, you can pick that up and fill it out, pass it down just to know who you're worshiping with, and if you're... Uh, uh, just uh, visiting us or joining us, it's a chance to share information. We'd love to follow up and tell you more about the church. Uh, also, there is time of coffee and bagels after the service. It's right outside. If you go out the back doors, uh, you'll run into the table there. So hopefully you can stay after, have a chance to catch up and see each other, meet some new people. Also, as part of this time, uh, one of the announcements I want to highlight. So uh, Rob Glokey, one of the elders uh, here at the at LSBC, is going to share just briefly about uh, our worship and welcome fund. Uh, so thank you, Rob. Yeah, just a brief announcement about a fund that we actually started last year uh, at about this time, and we're continuing to offer it. This year, um, two parts to the, this announcement. The first part is uh, just, a, I guess, a way of remembering the goodness of God and, and a way of thanking you. A couple years, a handful of years ago, as we all know, we were in COVID, and I, you know, a couple years ago at this time, we were worshiping in a church that wasn't our church. It was a church in Nazarene, and we were sharing the space, and... Uh, here we are sitting back at Waters, and uh, during that time we were a bit uncertain about the future of the church and what it was going to look like, uh, but again, here we are back at Waters. Uh, we're running classes again and, and using our community space and our office uh, to, to outreach to the community and have classes there and women's events and men's events. So uh, just a, I guess just a, a moment to pause and just, uh, like I said, remember God's goodness toward LSPC and uh, all that he's doing 
through us here in this community, in this city. And uh, again, as a way of uh, a part of that is, is your giving and your generosity uh, kind of helps keep the lights on at the church office in the community space and allows us to worship here on uh, Sunday. So thank you for that. We would continue to like uh, to, to do these things. We would continue to worship and, and be a place where people could come and feel welcome and join us in worship within the community. And so as a part of that, we need funding to do that. And uh, this is just the first announcement, which uh, there will be more to come and more information to come. But uh, just putting it on your radar, uh, in the back of your order of worship, uh, on the last couple pages here, there's a box. It's squared and it has a nice logo, which gives you some information on the, on the fund. It is a fund that is separate from our regular operating budget, and it goes to helping, again, to allow us to keep worshiping here at Waters and to keep the lights on and, and allowing us to do what we do through the community space uh, in the community in the neighborhood. So two, I guess, call to actions from the session to, to you. Uh, the first one is for you to consider now, to start considering as we approach your end and, and end of your giving, uh, just to consider how you might help uh, in giving towards this fund. Uh, you can start praying about it and start thinking about how maybe God wants to use you and your finances to uh, be a part of this fund. And then also, um, maybe you have a list of friends or family members that have come and been a part of what we do here or been a part of some of our extra events outside of the worship time that you might consider asking uh, to also be a part of this fund and to give to this fund to the work that the church is doing in this neighborhood. So um, I'll just lay that there. And again, there'll be more information to come. If you want more information, again, it's in your order of worship and you could visit the website to, to find out more. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Let's stand together and, and sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all above
receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. May go in peace.